the Ten Commandments. And this is now week two of this series. I began this series last week by looking at the Tenth Commandment. And, and the Ten Commandments, now that, that may be something that for many of us, if not all of us, it is familiar in some way. We've at least heard of that. We know what that is. Some of us perhaps could recite that. We've memorized it. We've heard it many times. And maybe it is for some of us then that because we're so familiar with it, because we've heard what it is before, that, that we sort of bounce right over it. Oh yeah, I've learned about that. I know that. I'm good with that. But we're going to look at that in ways that maybe, hopefully, give us something of a fresh perspective, something of a new point of view to look at these commandments of God. So we began that last week by looking at commandment number 10. And, and that's how we're going to do this, that, that in a way that will give us something of a different perspective. We're going to take it in reverse order. So we began with the last commandment last week, you shall not covet. And this week we back up to commandment number 9. You shall not lie. Or if you uh, learned these once upon a time from King James English Bible, thou shalt not bear false witness. Same thing. So to get into that today, what I want us to do is see a passage that tells us a little something about the power of our words and what words do and express in the lives that we live. So to do that, I'm going to read a few verses that come from the book of James. In the New Testament, James chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses of James chapter 3, a passage in which James talks about our words and the power that words have, right? Here's what James has to say about that. Not many of you should be teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So looking at this 
ninth commandment, you shall not lie. And, you know, I, I think this is one which, for many of us, maybe this comes as being rather straightforward. We look at this one and we say, yeah, don't lie. And, and you know, last week we looked at you shall not covet, and we sort of worked to say, all right, we, we see what the negative prohibition is in that covenant, what we should not do, and then we work to find the positive affirmation, what we should do. And, and maybe with a commandment like this, well, that seems rather obvious, right? You shall not lie. Well, I know what the negative prohibition is, what I should not do. And, and it doesn't take a whole lot of work then to find the positive affirmation. Well, if, if I should not lie, then, then that must mean naturally that I should always speak the truth. Easy. I, I think we got that. Nailed it. Move on. Let's get to the next commandment. Maybe that's what we thought, right? Maybe, maybe that's not necessarily a conscious reaction, but, but sometimes that's how we sort of bounce over that one. Yep, don't lie. Say the truth. Got it. Move on. So let's pause on that for today and consider that. Is it really that easy? Is it really that straightforward? Right? If I walk out from this place and pass someone in the hall and, and say, dude, that is the ugliest shirt I have ever seen. Right? Well, it's the truth. But does that mean I should say it? Not necessarily. Right? There's some piece of... of recognizing the power that our words have. Or what about sometimes when you're maybe backed into a corner and you've got no choice? You have to say something, but what do you say? What do you say when grandma says, so how do you like my casserole? And how do you answer that if you don't like the casserole? Do you say the truth? Do you lie and, Grandma, this tastes great, when you know it doesn't? It's not always so easy then, is it? Sometimes knowing how to use words in a way that honor God and honors others is just hard to do. By the way, the right answer to that question is, Grandma, I had no idea Velveeta and tuna fish could taste like this. (laughs) And just let it go. Words have meaning. They have impact. Sometimes we're stuck in situations where we struggle to use words the right way in ways that honor God and honor others. James gives us an example of that here. So let's look at what goes on in this passage. First of all, what we see in this is is James starts out by giving three comparisons, three examples of how our words relate to who we are in this world and how that comes about, right? He talks about three examples, the bits that steer animals, a rudder that steers a ship, or a spark that ignites a wildfire. Now, those those first two examples that we see, I suppose in one way you could say those are, well, they're rather neutral, right? You could use those for either good or evil. It it doesn't matter one way or the other because you can steer an animal or steer a ship either for something good or for something evil. You can use your words for something good or for something harmful. But that third example that James gives, I think he's, he's giving us the flavor of where he really intends to take us with this, right? 
a spark that ignites a forest fire. In all three of these examples, James gives us this picture of something that starts out very small, but then it leads to large consequences. It holds great power even though it is so tiny. We get that in this example of our words, especially when he gets to that third example, the spark that ignites the wildfire, that, that something so carelessly uttered as a word that comes out of our mouth can be taken or received and then spread, and then before you know it, it's out of control, it's uncontainable, and that it harms so many. I think, I think perhaps we've all seen examples of this in some way. We've all lived through some places where we see how this works itself out, right? We've seen how words, not actions, but words, things spoken, can fracture friendships, right? Friendships fall apart because of it, can split families in some ways, can ruin jobs or careers by what we say, by the words that we choose to use. So James calls that out, saying, hey, do you recognize how something which on one level seems so tiny, so harmless, perhaps even so insignificant, can so quickly cause so much damage, so much harm? He goes on in the passage and he talks about the ways in which we actually find ourselves in this back and forth struggle of hypocrisy because, because as people we also want to say good things, have good words. So we have both praise and cursing that come out of the same mouth. right? That we bless God and we curse others out of the same mouth. That there is this hypocrisy that comes about by our untamed tongues and the way that we speak. And, and that, I think if, if you think of examples of that, that, that almost takes it one step worse, doesn't it? I mean, if, if there's someone who's a bully to me, and I know they're a bully to me, and I know they're mean, and I know they say mean things because they say it right to my face, all right, yeah, that's hurtful, that's wrong, But how much more hurtful is it when you've got someone who says nice things to your face and then turns around and says something completely opposite behind your back? We've seen examples of that too. Maybe you've had that experience in your own life of finding sort of that two-faced hypocritical. they're, They're one way with certain people and they're completely another way with other people. And it all comes from what we say, our words. So James addresses that here with us. And he does that in ways that that bring to mind all the ways that we're broken by that. And in this passage itself where James brings us, he brings us to a place where, well, at least in the verses that we read, he doesn't exactly get to a solution, does he? He gets us to a place where we recognize how broken we are in that, but, but in these words right here, we don't exactly get to where James tells us, and here's what you should do about it. 
And, and here's the solution. Here's how you should respond. In fact, we'd have to jump a little bit further, and I'd have to skip over a little bit. It actually comes in the middle of chapter 4. So I'm going to jump ahead and just put a few of these words up on the screen then. In the middle of chapter 4 is where James responds to this. So in James 4, beginning at verse 7, and, and here's where in James, the section begins where James says, now here's what I want you to do. Here is your response, your part in this. Here's what he says in chapter 4. He says, now then, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. All right, so let's bring this to, uh, let's bring this to the ninth commandment. You shall not lie. You shall not bear false witness. Where is James taking us in this? Well, let's, let's break down a few things of where we see this going the way James brings it. I, I think this is where James takes us as a place to begin. It begins with confession. Confession. Confession, well, what is confession? Well, sometimes we think, yeah, confession, it's, it's making that list of all the sins that I've committed and, and everything that, that sort of is wrong with me and, and making that list and, and admitting that to God, right? Confessing before God, here's all the ways that I need forgiveness. But what are we doing when we do that? You see, when, when I confess those things before God, what I really am doing is, is I'm being completely honest with God. Right? Confession is a place where I come before God and I say to God, you know what? Any attempt that I have to be a good person on my own, it's not working. So I have to be completely honest with you, God. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. Here's all the ways my life has tried to do that and failed. So confession then is a step towards honesty with God. Truth with God. It begins between me and God. I'm going to be truthful to God about my need for a Savior. It begins there. I think that's where James is pointing us in these words, isn't he? He's telling us, you know, come before God. Humble yourself before God. Purify your heart before God. Begin there. And how does that work itself out then? Okay, so I confess before God, but but what does that have to do with lying to others? Right? So let's chase this one down. Let's chase this one down and let's figure out what's really happening. Where is the sin really woven into lying? Words without truth. Well, let's recognize lying for what it is. Right? Sometimes we think, well, lying is, is just um, avoiding the truth or covering up the truth or ignoring the truth or... or bending the truth. We think of that, but let's think about what lying really is. Lying is this. When you lie, we use words spoken with the intent to deceive others. If there's one word that you should associate with lying, it's the word deceit. Lying is an attempt to deceive And I suppose in some ways, I mean, if you think about 
lying, this makes sense when we do that. And why we do that to some extent, right? So, I didn't get my assignment done. It's due. I go to class. I tell the teacher, you know the classic one, the dog ate my homework. It's a lie, but words that I use with the intent to deceive someone else so that I don't get in trouble and don't get a bad grade on my assignment. Specifically then, it's deceit that is meant to do something in particular, isn't it? It's meant to control or manipulate other people for my own advantage. And isn't that what deceit does? That whenever we engage in activity that is deceitful, what we are really trying to do is control and manipulate other people for my own advantage. So the abusive spouse who constantly says awful and demeaning things to their marriage partner lies, is using that deceit in an attempt to control and manipulate someone else for their own advantage. Do you see that's where lies bring us? Sometimes we make that sound so innocent, right? We talk about things like, oh, it, it's just a little fib. Or maybe you've heard the saying, a little white lie never hurt anyone. But do we recognize today what a lie really is? That we're using words to deceive, intended to control, manipulate others for my own advantage. When we do that, when we do that, what we're really doing is we're, we're failing to recognize the image of God in others. If I'm engaging in words with others that are meant to control and manipulate and deceive for my advantage, I'm ignoring the image of God in those other people, failing to recognize the way which all people are created in the image of God. Those things come back to us then when we lie, when we deceive, when we control. You see, a failure to completely and to be completely honest before God brings us to this. Let's tie those two things together, right? Confession, honesty before God. That when I confess before God, this is my need for God, this is who I really am, I'm not going to lie to God because God cannot be deceived. So when I simply come before God in honest confession and say, God, this is who I am and this is my need for you, I am honestly going to confess that before you. But when I fail to do that, when I fail to be completely honest with God about my own need for a Savior, that is, in its own way, an attempt to deceive God. To deceive God that... I don't know, maybe I want to cover up the things that I don't want God to know about? An attempt to deceive God that maybe I'm not so bad? An attempt to deceive God that, you know what, there's a whole lot of people out there who are way worse than I am. All of those things, when we fail to come before God in honest confession, all of those things come before as ways of trying to deceive God and it translates into lives we live 
which also attempt to deceive other people. Lies. Confession then. Confession is this place where we come before God and, and we admit that we need a Savior. But, but more than that, where does confession bring us? Well, confession then brings us to this place where consistent honesty about my identity in Christ is, is now what defines me to other people. Right? If I can be honest before God about who I am and honest before God about my need for a Savior, and if that is something in which I'm not going to try to deceive God and I'm not going to try to live a life of deception about that, I'm going to anchor my identity in who I am as a person who is dependent upon the grace of God. And when that defines who I am, then that's what other people see in me that it becomes something that I bring before other people. That honesty that I have with God is an honesty that I want other people to see in the identity that I have with Christ. Consistent honesty. You know, we have a word for that. When, when you see someone who has consistent honesty in who they are and in the way that they live, we tend to call that integrity, Right? When you think about what it means for a person to have integrity, for a person to live with integrity, well, well, a person who has integrity is a person who is consistently honest. Right? They're not back and forth. They're not hypocritical. I tend to think that integrity is, is one of the best compliments a person could ever receive. That consistent honesty about who you are. One of the best compliments a person could ever receive to say, you know what? You're the same person with this group as you are with that group. You're the same person in private when no one is looking as you are in public when everyone's looking. Integrity. That consistent honesty. That's where confession leads us. Confession leads us to a place where we are left with nothing else except a consistent honesty before God about our identity in him and our need for his grace to come over us. We do that then in ways that affect not only who we are, but also affect the way that we live, the words that we say, the way we use those words with, other, with others. You see, because if I cannot be a person of honest integrity before God, then how could I ever be a person of honest integrity before other people? But when I begin to embrace in my own life the person that God created me to be, called me to be, redeemed me to be, when I begin to embrace that and accept that, then it becomes a life that is anchored in the truth of God's grace. The truth of that. Here again, a few of those words from James 4 that, that bring that to us. That James says this, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You see what's happening here. It, it's not that I have all these things that I need to prove to God, but, but it's actually coming to God and saying, God, 
I have nothing to prove to you. And when I do that, it is God who steps in and says, now I've got you. Now I will lift you up. Now you are mine. Now you live under my grace. That we become people then who can let go of all those lies, deceit, manipulating and controlling, but simply be people who live within the grace of God and let our words then reflect that identity, who we are, and who God has created everyone else to be as well in his grace. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. And Lord, we come before you today and, and we, we have to acknowledge, yep, we are people who lie. We are people who have not spoken the truth. And God, we have to acknowledge today that we have done this in ways in which we have to be honest. We've tried to deceive, manipulate, control others with words for our own advantage. So God, it, it's our prayer today that you lead us back once again to first of all recognizing our need to confess before you that we bring nothing of our own to you and that we need you to redeem us and make us whole. And Lord, we pray that you would sanctify our hearts through that so that more and more we can embrace that identity and it may be reflected in the lives we live and in the words that we say. Help us to do that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.